Candace, thank you for your story. I don't know about you, but these testimonies are just unbelievable. And, and, you know, I'm thrilled to be able to speak tonight, but my wife and I are here to listen and learn, and we have been so inspired. And, uh, man, I, I want to I wanna pay for someone's adoption. I want to buy someone a table. I'm getting all kinds of ideas. Um, but you know what I love about that? It, it, it's the fact that God is great, not just because nothing is too big for him. God is great because nothing is too small for him. Isn't that awesome that uh, somehow we factor into the equation of what the omnipotent one is doing here on planet Earth? And I just am a person that, that believes that it's not about the things we have to do. These are the things we get to do. We don't have to give. We get to give. What a joy and a privilege. Uh, I've got to tell you, my, my theological starting point is Isaiah 55, where the Lord declares, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Pretty awesome thought, isn't it? Uh, do you know that light travels at 186,000 miles per second? Everybody snap your fingers. The time it takes to snap your fingers, light circumnavigates the globe half a dozen times. Our sun is 94 million miles away. If you drove there, it'd take you about 163 years going 65 miles an hour. But the sun that warms our face on a beautiful day, it's only eight minutes old. But the sun is our closest star in our, our tiny little galaxy called the Milky Way, and astrophysicists have discovered galaxies 15.5 billion light years away. And God compares the difference between his thoughts and our thoughts to the expanse of space. So here's my thought. Your best thought on your best day is 15.5 billion light years short of how great and how good God really is. Isn't that awesome? You know, I, I love being in a room like this because there's some dreamers here. You, you, don't, you don't do what you do without um, allowing God to give you one of those God-sized dreams and, and going after it. But can I, can I push back a little bit tonight? The truth is there's not one of us that walked in those doors that isn't underestimating God by 15.5 billion light years. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. And I choose to believe that we haven't seen anything yet. I mean, praise God for what he's done. Um, uh, he's been good, hasn't he? He's been faithful. But you can't tell me that your best days are behind you. Your best days are in front of you because there is a God who is ordering your footsteps. Father, we thank you tonight for your greatness, for your goodness. Would you visit us tonight? God, as we open up our hearts and our minds, would you speak to us, Father? Would you, would you come and invade the reality of our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if it's okay, 
I'm a preacher, so I generally preach, and I'm, I'm going to do that a little bit tonight, and I have a message that God's put on my heart, but l- let me tell you a little bit of my journey, because I feel like, you know, I-, I love hearing stories, and the reason why I love sharing our story is because it's not our story. It's his story. You know, history with a little hyphen in there. And God is telling his story through each one of us. And that's why I love sharing uh, our story. In 1996, uh, I, I was a, a rookie pastor. We had a core group of 19 people. And I'm, I'm just going to keep it real. I had no idea what I was doing. They shouldn't allowed me to do this. I mean, I had one, one internship on my resume. I'd never been on a church staff. Um, and, and all I did in that internship was manage the, the church men's softball league. <laughs> but I learned that if you can manage a church men's softball league, do about anything, right? <laughs> and so jumped in, and, and I'm grateful because I think sometimes we want to do the things that we're qualified for. I just don't believe that that's what God's called us to. We, in fact, I might even suggest that sometimes we want to do the things that don't even require us to pray. That we can just do in our own effort. It's like second nature and we can just kind of do it. But I've found that God wants to put us in places where we have to, in raw dependence, get on our knees and say, God, I can't do this. But you can do this through me. And I've learned that, that God doesn't ever want me to leave that place. I think sometimes we, we mistake self-sufficiency and spiritual maturity, but you know what? Self-sufficiency isn't part of the deal. What God wants to do is keep tr- stretching us further and further and further so that we have to keep on our knees. So our first Sunday was the weekend at the blizzard in 96, came through the East Coast. Any East Coast folks in the house tonight? You remember that. I mean, it left record snowfalls on Washington. That was our first Sunday. Great timing. Three people showed up. It was our grand opening. And my wife, myself, and our little baby at that point. Uh, the only upside is that we did have a, a 533% growth spurt in one week. 19 people showed up the next week, and we were kind of off to the races. And, and uh, you know, didn't really know what I was doing, but um, uh, God is good. And I've learned that God does what God does, not because of us but nine times out of ten he does it in spite of us and if we can stay out of the way then God can do something really incredible if you can kind of keep your ego out of the way keep your fear out of the way keep your doubt out of the way if you can just kind of get out of the way then look out because God's going to do some amazing things through you and so I remember standing in the pulpit and I used to close my eyes and worship because it was too depressing to open them <laughs> and uh, we were meeting at a DC public school and and then uh, it closed and we found ourselves in the movie theaters at Union Station. How, how many have ever been through D.C., ever been through Union Station? Uh, that was our church for 13 years. Can you believe that? Uh, God, God said, I'm just going to put you in the middle of the marketplace. And, I mean, come on, there aren't a whole lot of churches that have, like, their own, own train system that runs throughout the whole country. You know what I mean? Um, we had our own metro system. And, and we, uh, we just, we loved it. And, and we've been a church that now we're, we're seven locations and, and we meet, our, our vision is to meet in movie theaters at Metro Stops throughout the D.C. area. I mean, why not? Movies are dark on Sunday mornings. It's a great environment, comfortable chairs, big screens, smell of popcorn. 
It's our incense at National Community Church. I, I can't even go watch a movie without, it's like Pavlovian, I just want to worship the Lord. Um, and so this idea of doing church in the marketplace became part of our DNA. And, and, and so a couple of years ago, we thought, you know, I was walking by an old crack house, five blocks from the Capitol, but crack house, cinder blocks in the doors and windows, graffiti on it. And, and it was one of those moments, you ever had one of those moments where the Holy Spirit kind of whispers something to you? And, and, I was, and I just, it was this thought like, this would make a great coffee house. And I'm like, why am I, I don't even drink coffee. Why am I even thinking this? And, and, but to make a long story short, um, by faith, we started praying around that piece of property. We prayed around it for five years. And uh, do you know that, that four people offered more money for it, two of them real estate developers, and we got it. We prayed for it for five years. And, and uh, we now own and operate Ebenezer's Coffee House. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm a guy that believes that there are ways of doing church that no one has thought of yet. And if the kingdom of God had departments, we'd want to be in research and development. Like that would be kind of our deal because I just believe that, that, that God wants to continue, you know, doing new things. That's why the psalmist sings, sing a new song. He doesn't want us just to worship him out of our left brain memory, but how about some right brain imagination? Let's continue to sing some new songs to the Lord. And so, um, and, and our rationale was this, Jesus didn't just hang out at the synagogue, right? Hung out at wells. Wells are, uh, were natural gathering places in ancient culture. Coffee houses are postmodern wells. Instead of, you know, drawing water, you just draw a shot of espresso. It's a pretty good deal. And so we open up this coffee house, and, and here's the beautiful thing. Every penny of profit goes to missions. Now, let me ask you the question. Do you think God's blessed that? He's blessed it big time. And, uh, and we love what the Lord is doing. Our 2020 vision is... 20 locations around the metro DC area and we're about to launch our first international location in Berlin, Germany and, and uh, but really the driving engine and, and I need to share this in this context we want to grow more so that we can give more that's what we're about um, and uh, I want to share just one little thing and then we're going to dive right into this message but what a wonderful um, 24 hours it's been and have you had some revelations? Have, have, have there been some moments where maybe God has helped you connect the dots between some things in your life? And I'm, I'm sitting back way in the back this morning, and, and, and it's like, how did I never think of this before? But, um, you, know, you know, there are defining moments in life, right? And, and I've never made the connection. But this morning I realized I can't believe how many of my defining moments were giving moments. Does that resonate with you tonight? That, that those moments when maybe you step out in faith and, and I just want to share this one and, and then we're going to get into the message. When we were a church of uh, maybe 50 people, we were about nine months into it, uh, I had one of those moments where I felt like God was speaking to me and I felt like God was challenging me and prompting us that we needed to start giving to missions. Now here's the deal, we weren't even a self-support, we, we were the missionaries, we were the ones that needed the support. And, and you ever had an argument with God? Have you ever thought that the omniscient one is maybe miscalculated? I remember thinking to myself, God, how can we give what we don't have? Like, 
we, we need some support. I, and, 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 but here's what I've learned. When you have an argument with God, if you win, you lose. But if you lose, you win. Our monthly income at that point was $2,000 a month as a church. That was everything. And it cost $1,600 to rent the D.C. public school where we were meeting. Uh, that left $400 for our salary and all other expenses. And, and I remember it, it was one of the hardest checks, but on principle, I was, I was like, God, this is an opportunity for us to, in obedience, you know, give out of what we don't have. And so I remember writing that check. And it, I mean, 50 bucks doesn't seem like a whole lot now, but, but it seemed so big then. And I remember giving it. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I remember thinking our income either this month, you know, next month is going to be um, $1,950. Because that's how I t gen generally, you know, think. And I'll never forget the next month, um, $6,000 comes. And I remember, what, like, what, what just happened? How did that happen? And, and it was one of those moments where we learned that if you begin to give generously, and, and if we practice that corporately, that uh, all I know is this. If you make a decision that you're going to be a blessing, then God's going to continue to bless you. And you're going to be a conduit for his blessing. And so we thank God for what he's been doing. And uh, it is such a privilege to be here tonight. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to look at a uh, story about someone called, uh, we don't know his name, but called the rich young ruler. And it's one of the saddest stories in the Bible, if you read it the right way. And so let's dive in. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? It's a good question, isn't it? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Just a little observation. It doesn't say if you want to do what is right, obey the commandments. It says if you want to enter life. How many of you know obeying the commandments, living... Uh, within the guardrails of God's good, pleasing, it's not just about right and wrong, it's about life and death. And if you want to really enter into the fullness of life, the abundant life that Jesus Christ offered, then, then you've got to obey those commandments because obedience will begin to uh, unleash a, a fullness of life unlike anything else. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, are you ready for this next statement? I'm going to ask you because I want, I, you need to help me out a little bit tonight. Because um, um, you're going you're gonna to gasp when, when I read this, okay? Are you ready for this? Jesus lays out all these commandments. And, and I, I can't believe someone actually is able to say this. He says, all these I have kept. Oh, come on, that wasn't convincing. Jesus lays out all these commandments, and this guy says, all these I've kept. Give me a little gasp tonight. Like, is this not, this must be the most righteous religious person I've ever heard of. Like, are, are you telling me you're, you're, you've never made a mistake? You've never committed one of these sins? Unbelievable. But then what's even more shocking is the next question. Because if he's a rich young ruler then on paper, don't you think that he has everything that, that we think would make us happy? 
Okay, because he's, he's, you know, I went, I went to seminary and I learned that, that what, what this means is he was rich, young, and a ruler. <laughs> Paid a lot of money for that seminary education to figure that one out. But, but please, please are, are you tracking with me? Okay, he's, he's rich and so he's got tremendous wealth. Um, he's young and so he's got his whole life in front of him. And, and then he's a ruler, which means he has a measure of power or influence and on paper we think to ourselves this is who we want to be and if I had what he had oh we'd be good to go but look at this next question something something is missing because he asks this guy what do I still lack in other words I'm doing all these things I'm trying to do the right thing you know what maybe you're here tonight and you are trying I, I think the fact that you're here is evidence. You're trying. And I applaud that. And I believe it honors God. I believe our Heavenly Father is pleased that we're here in this room tonight just talking about how can we give more. I just think it puts a smile on the face of our Heavenly Father. Maybe you're trying real hard and you're wondering though, man, something is still missing. I believe that the Lord could reveal what that thing is uh, tonight. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Let me just stop right there for a moment. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to be uh, in the Galapagos Islands, uh, 49 uh, archipelago, 49 islands off the coast of, of Ecuador. I was there on a missions trip, believe it or not. There are islands that don't have churches, but they have TVs, and we were getting our messages translated into Spanish and broadcasting. And so, um, but I got to admit, like, you're going to go on a missions trip, like, you know, someone's got to go to the Galapagos, sign me up. Um, unbelievable closest thing to the Garden of Eden left on earth I mean the wildlife is spectacular and so uh, we fly in I mean it felt like we should have come in on a raft or something but but we fly in and and there are these the wildlife I mean you've got these um, marine iguanas and and 200 year old tortugas that were like this big and and then at one moment my son was with me because I, I, I we, we believe in taking our kids on missions trips and and wow it's one of the best things you can do as a parent and so he's with me, and, and in this unscripted moment, there are these sea lions, like, swimming, you know, uh, right there in the Pacific Ocean. And we just, like, I don't even know what, I don't even know if this is safe, but I'm here. We jump in, and these sea lions are, like, swimming around us and playing with us. And it was just, it was this magical moment. And, and then I'll never forget these pelicans. They were like prehistoric pterodactyls. I mean, just huge pellets. And they would hover like 100 feet over the boat. And, and then they would dive bomb into the ocean, go about 10 feet down and come up with breakfast in his beak. And it was just thrilling to see these, these wild animals in their natural habitat. So I fly home. And the next week, we go to the zoo. Okay, National Zoo, indeed, it's great. I am ruined for zoos because once you've seen an animal in its natural habitat, I mean, you just, there's no going back. And so there's this moment where we are walking through uh, the ape house and there are these, you know, there are these 400 pound gorillas that, that uh, are behind plexiglass. And this thought kind of fires across my synapses. 
I wonder if churches do to people what zoos do to animals. I wonder, and it's well-intentioned, but I, I wonder if we don't try to tame people in the name of Christ. I, don't wonder, I wonder if we don't try to, like, let's take away some of the risk and the, and the danger element and let's just kind of make this thing safe and predictable and palatable. And then we wonder why we're bored. And it's because it's not what God's called us to. You, you know what? Some of us live as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Right? <laughs> Jesus Christ did not die on the cross just to keep us safe. He died on the cross to make us dangerous. Do you believe that? I believe that when I pronounce the benediction at the end of our services, that, that man, we are sending dangerous people back into their natural habitat to wreak havoc on the enemy. That's what he's called us to. And what does that have to do with this story? I mean, I just think that this rich young ruler is bored. He's not doing anything wrong. Listen to me. You can do nothing wrong and still do nothing. Can I get theological for a moment? Some of you are note takers. I'm watching you taking these notes. And I, my, my, my notebook is full. Anybody else, your notebook is completely full. You have now resorted to the pad of paper. I mean, so if you're a note taker, let me, let me give this to you and just jot this down. And uh, uh, there are two kinds of sin. There are sins of commission. Now, sin of commission is when you do something you should not have done. Let me go on record as saying, I'm against sins of commission. <laughs> Just getting to know each other. I want to make sure you know where I'm coming from. But if you said, Mark, what, what is it that really grieves the heart of the Heavenly Father? You know what? I, I really think it's the sins of omission. It's what you would have, could have, and should have done for the cause of Christ, but didn't do. You say, well, how do you know that? Why? why? Because I'm a dad. And, and we have three kids. And you know what? I love it when my kids make the right choice not to do something wrong. Parents, isn't that awesome? Oh, praise God for that. You know, but, but if you said, but, but as, a, as a dad, man, I see who they can become. I believe in them. No one believes in them. Like, and I see their potential and I see their gifts. And I just, my deepest desire as a parent is to see them grow into their giftedness and completely yield their lives to Jesus Christ and say, I'm all in and, and just see God do something amazing through their lives. You can't tell me that God's dream is that we would go and sit in a pew for 90 minutes a week and that that somehow is the pinnacle of spiritual maturity no there's a heavenly father who loves you who believes in you has plans and purposes for you and you know what's so exciting to me tonight some of you know that so well and and you're just you're you're all in already but some of you, you're just discovering it some of you will discover it tonight and there's nothing more except because once you do then you realize that then then God's writing his story through my life Oh, amazing. And so this rich young ruler, I think, what was missing was the holy rush of adrenaline when you live by faith. 
and you live in obedience and you begin to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, I believe that that's God's plan for every single one of us. Let's keep going. So, isn't it interesting? Jesus' response. So the rich young ruler says, what, what am I still missing? And don't you love this about Jesus? Like, the answer here, you know, go and sell your possessions and, and give them. You know, at first glance, it really doesn't seem to be an answer to the question. And I'll tell you why. Because in my experience, if you ask the wrong question, Jesus would just ask the one that you should have been asking in the first place. Right? And so it's almost like, let's just get down to the core issue here. And, and Jesus kind of gets to the, the heart of it. Um, and says, go and sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and then follow me. Now, I want to ask you a question. Be honest with me. If you've heard this story before, how many of you ever felt just a little bit sorry for the rich young ruler? Come on, be honest. Let me see your hands. You read this story and you thought, you know, sometimes I read the Bible and, and I think, like, well, how do I say this? It's going to come, but stick with me. It's going to come across wrong. But um, every once in a while I'm reading the Bible and I, I might kind of tell God to do a little different way. Because I'm reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, Jesus, um, you know, kind of pull him aside like Peter did every once in a while. Like, Lord, you, you might want to just start with the tithe. <laughs> you know, why, why don't we just kind of, let's start there. And then we'll, but, but what I love about Jesus, I, I, you know what? That's not what he's looking for. In fact, here's what's amazing about this story. I, I just, every time you read the Bible, have you found that, that there's like a new revelation? Have you experienced that? Like, I mean, you can read it a thousand times and then thousand and first time, it's like, whoa, how did I miss that? Um, did, did you know that the Jewish rabbis uh, said that every word of scripture has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings? Is that not kind of a cool concept that, that the Word of God is so powerful, is so multidimensional? And I'd never even noticed it in this story before, but, but I'm reading it, and, and I just had this thought yesterday. Please forgive me, but I just had this thought. Isn't it amazing that, because if this is me, forgive me for even saying this, but I'm thinking... You don't even really need to follow me. Just write a check and we're good. You know what I'm saying? But isn't this amazing? Jesus didn't want his money. They go and give it away. Now, if I remember right, they were supported by a small group of women. I mean, they, they live kind of, you know, by faith. And I, this is someone that could have bankrolled that ministry. And Jesus doesn't even ask him for a dime. And that's because he doesn't want our money. He doesn't need our money. What he wants is us. And so in this moment, he says to the rich young ruler, follow me. Now, the reason why we feel bad for the rich young ruler is because we focus on what Jesus asked him to give up. And we fail to consider what Jesus is putting on the table. Okay, what an offer. Wait, the Son of God just invited me to follow Him. Awesome. Okay, I, I live in Washington, D.C. And uh, 
it's kind of the internship capital of the world. Um, how many of you ever did, did maybe did an internship in D.C. or have family or friends that did an internship in D.C.? Let me see your hands. Um, that's, that's a lot of us. And so people come for a couple of months and do an internship. And, and the reason's simple. I mean, you did the same thing probably. You, you, wanted the, you knew that the right internship with the right person could open up the right door and, and would be a part of your resume and, and then kind of get you on a path um, towards success. I mean, just at, at that face value, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, if you have on your, in, uh, on your uh, resume uh, an internship with the Son of God, does that not have to count for something? I mean, I'm thinking to myself, what an opportunity. And, and here's where I want to draw a, a stark contrast. Because what you have are these disciples who gave up everything to follow Jesus. And then you have this rich young ruler who's like, man, I'm not sure. I, he went away sad. He just wasn't willing to let go. And he held on to what he had and gave up and missed the opportunity of a lifetime. Here's, here's the bottom line. Jesus took a group of uneducated fishermen, by and large, throwing a tax collector, a few other folks. And in a day and age where the average person never traveled outside a 35-mile radius of their birthplace, he took these simple fishermen who would have lived their entire lives within a stone's throw of the Sea of Galilee. And so just, just think of that 35-mile radius as kind of their universe, their existence. And, and that's how the average person lived. But what did Jesus do? He took these, these, these 12 disciples and he said, watch this. I'm going to turn your world upside down. You're going to change the world. And so according to Eusebius, the third century church historian, uh, you've got Peter, you know, this guy who just would have lived, you know, probably lived on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And that's about it. Goes to Italy. John ends up in Asia. James, the son of, son of Zebedee, uh, ends up in Spain. Even Doubting Thomas goes to India. Now, do you, do you understand that I don't know the exact mileage between where they were and those places? But you see what Jesus does, kind of metaphorically, that, that before I came to Christ, maybe I lived in this 35-mile this world, but the moment you put your faith in Christ and you begin following him and you go where he calls you to go and you begin to do what he has called you to do, he blows up your universe and you begin to experience it. You will meet people, you will go places, you will do things that you never imagined. Why? Because you just simply said, I'm going to follow you. It's the greatest moment of life because it changes your trajectory. I mean, just think about this. They had box seats to every sermon Jesus preached. I mean, they were so close, like Jesus was like spitting on them as he was preaching. Awesome. Uh, okay. They, they didn't just catch, they filleted and ate the miraculous catch of fish. They ate a miracle. Like, I mean, they drank the water that was turned into wine. Like, okay, would you, not, would you not give anything for just one experience like that? Do you see what I'm saying? I think, I think the, the rich young ruler, I feel bad for him because he missed out on all of that. He's the one who missed out. We kind of focus our attention for just a minute. I want to say a couple of things and, and make sure that you hear them. And a couple of these things might be worth writing down. You know, first of all, I believe that your greatest asset will become your greatest liability if you don't use it for Jesus Christ. 
your greatest asset will become your greatest liability if you don't use it for Jesus Christ. I mean, at the end of his life, you can't tell me that I bet the rich young ruler, I promise you, he was still asking the same question. He's on his deathbed and say, what am I missing? Because he arrived at a point where he still had everything and he realized it was nothing. And these disciples who had nothing had everything. Let me tell you about the most memorable, one of the most memorable days of my life. A few years ago, we helped to start a church in uh, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And uh, wonderful church, God's blessing it, doing some wonderful things. And every year we send a team there. And, and uh, the first missions trip over there, I, I was on it. And so we, we flew over, and, and it was incredible. Um, I, I preached to, to um, the church there, and, and we did lots of different things. Like, we built a mud hut for, a, I think, an 88-year-old Ethiopian grandmother. It was, like, it was like Habitat for Humanity Ethiopian style. It was awesome. I mean, we were just throwing mud on the wall, and, and it was just a wonderful experience. Well, on the last day, as, as we often do on our missions trips, we usually throw in kind of one day where let's see the country, let's experience something, let's just kind of enjoy and revel in what God's done. And so, so they said, hey, let's, let's drive uh, down to Awash National Park and we'll do a game drive. I was like, I've never been on a game drive. Like, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. And so that Friday morning, we got up early and, and we hopped in some, uh, some Land Rovers and, and drove out of the city. And that was about two hours out of the city that, that we um, pulled over and stopped and, and like, let's grab some lunch together and then we'll keep, keep going. And there were some cows grazing, you know, nearby. And I don't know why, but cows in other countries far more interesting than American cows. And so we're taking pictures of the cows. And, and out of nowhere, the, these, um, these armed shepherds carrying AK-47s come like sprinting at us. They're speaking in hark, so I have no idea what they're saying, but they're visibly upset. I'm like, you know, Houston, we got a problem here. And, and so they, they say to our, our guides, like, you know, if, if you take a picture of our cows, you better give us some cash. And oh, we paid them. You ever had one of those experiences like, like during it? Absolutely terrifying, but the split second afterwards, like it was awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm, I kid you, I'm like, I'm, we're driving away, and I'm thinking to myself, I just got held up at gunpoint in Ethiopia. I am living life to the fullest. Um, my, my wife, Laura, was not nearly as excited as, as I was about that when I told her. And, and so we continue driving, and, and we make our way. Uh, they, they take us off the main road, and we end up at a, uh, at a spring, a, a natural spring, heated by a volcano. And, I mean, just this pristine, and, and they told us it was 114 degrees, and, and I don't even know if that's physically possible, but that's what it felt like. And so we, we got in this, this natural spring, and it was so hot. But, like, I wasn't going to be kind of the first person to admit it was really hot and be, you know, out of there. But it was so hot that within five minutes, one of the guys on our team fainted. And there was another guy on the team taking video. And as this teammate, you know, was plummeting to their certain death, camera didn't move. <laughs> you may die, but we're going to capture this on video. Um, fortunately, someone else on the, on the team had this, uh, you know, the gift of mercy, and, and uh, we got him out of there. It was all good. By the way, we watched that video about 100 times. <laughs> we finally get to uh, Awash National Park, 
and I am sitting on top of a Land Rover. African sun is beginning to set and kind of wind in my face and we're dri driving through this game park and I'm seeing animals. I don't even know their names. I don't even know what to call them. And it's like one of those moments, have you ever had one of those moments where you can't not worship? We're driving, I'm like, God, you are awesome. You are the creator and that you would allow me these moments to just show me something that you created that I never thought I would have seen. And, and, and finally that night we, we uh, go back to our campsite and was where there like 50 baboons like in our campsite. And it was just like, I mean, we were in the middle of it and we're sitting around this, this roaring bonfire, just singing worship choruses. And Christy, some of the songs that we would sing tonight, and we're just, you know, we're lifting our voices to God and giving praise to Him, and, and how can you not praise? And finally, at the end of that amazing day, I'm in the pup tent, and I hear that still, small voice of the Spirit. And this is what the Spirit of God said to me, Mark, don't accumulate possessions accumulate experiences. It's one of the most awesome moments of my life. Now listen to me. Go ahead and accumulate experiences. They're great. But let me tell you exactly the kind of experiences I'm talking about. I'm talking about the experiences that you accumulate when you follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about those experiences when by faith you walk that path and you follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, how many of you know some amazing things are going to happen along the way? You're going to accumulate some experiences that, God, I can't believe that I could be a part of this. The rich young ruler missed out. The disciples they did not. Now, why did he miss out? You know what? It's not that complicated. Couldn't let go, could he? It's really that simple. I mean, isn't that what you found in your life? I mean, this isn't a very complicated message. I mean, isn't it the things that we sometimes want to hold on to? Can I, can I just ask this question? I have to ask myself this question every once in a while because the day that I find my identity in a church that I pastor is the day that I'm in big trouble. The day that I find my identity on a picture on the back of a book is the day that I'm in big trouble. And yet, it's so hard for us not to find our identity and security in something other than a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's hard, isn't it? Or is that just me? Is it hard? It's really hard. By the way, I have this theory that like the more you have or the more you have going for you, like the harder it is. Because it's easier to find your identity in something this else. And so I believe that what Jesus was doing here was just saying to the rich young ruler, are you willing to let go? When I was a kid, our family used to, on Sunday nights, watch the Wild Kingdom. Anybody watch the Wild Kingdom on Sunday nights? Um, 
And I remember one particular episode, it was these monkey trappers in Borneo and uh, kind of showed how they, they trapped these monkeys. The monkeys would, would uh, be up in the jungle and, and they would put a stake in the ground, they'd tie it to a gourd, they'd put a hole in the gourd, kind of hollow it out, and then they put some seeds that the monkeys love inside that gourd and, and, then, uh, and then they'd disappear and the monkeys would come out of the jungle and the next thing you know, like the monkeys, you know, they kind of reach their hand in there, grab those seeds and... and uh, and then the, the trappers would kind of come back and uh, craziest thing in the world, these monkeys would just do what monkeys do. They'd be jumping all around, like, you know, making their sounds. And, but, but the last thing, they, they, they just wouldn't let go. And because they didn't let go, the hole was small. They couldn't get their hand back out and they were trapped by what they held on to. Now, I think there's part of us that says, monkeys are really silly, aren't they? Silly, silly monkeys. Monkeys are so silly, aren't they? How could you be that silly? To hold on to something that would trap you. No. Silly, silly us. The things that we hold on to, that trap us, that, that keep us from the fullness of everything God wants to do in our lives. Is there something tonight, direct question, that you know you need to let go of. Is there something tonight? Would you be courageous enough to say, God, I'm, I'm willing to ask that question? You know, it might not happen right here, right now. I mean, maybe tonight when, you know, but say, God, is there something I need to let go of? So that the fullness of your plans and purposes can be unleashed and unveiled in my life. I want to tell you tonight, God so desperately wants to do amazing things through us, but it really comes down to us being willing to let go. Let me close with this. There's a couple of points as we were reading this story that really the only kind of accurate response is a gasp. You know, one, of course, is, you know, humorously, the, the rich young ruler saying, you know, I've kept all these, you know, kind of gasp at that, like, you got to be kidding me. But, but the other one is this moment when Jesus says, follow me follow me like you're inviting me to follow you unbelievable let me close with my story when I was five years old my parents took our family to go see a Billy Graham film called The Hiding Place anybody remember The Hiding Place I mean I'll be honest with you I kind of look back on it and laugh like I was five years old I'm not sure if I'd take my five-year-old to see that movie I mean it's about you know Corey Ten Boom and her surviving the concentration camps but I, I don't know God works in strange and mysterious ways and and that night after that movie I asked my mom if I could ask Jesus into my heart and it was a very five-year-old kind of response and and it was a moment where my spiritual journey began but if I'm being honest with you until I was 19 years old, it wasn't really about me following Jesus. It was more about Jesus following me. P please hear me out. I I'm afraid there are a lot of folks in a lot of churches that haven't really accepted the invitation to follow Jesus. They've invited Jesus to follow them. And how many of you know there's a world of difference? See, because I, I wanted Jesus to go everywhere I went, you know, at, at that point, because I was in school and I played basketball and, and, you know, I wanted, you know, Jesus to come, like, come right in the classroom with me. Would you help me on this exam? 
you know, I wanted Jesus to help me there. And then, you know, and then I'm out on the basketball court. And, you know, would you help me jump a little bit higher and help me make this shot? And, you know, I, I promise you, I did not want to go anywhere that Jesus wasn't following me. And I'm 19 years old. I'm a freshman at the University of Chicago. And on paper, you know, not unlike this rich young ruler, on paper, life was pretty good. I mean, I, I, it was the best school I could get into, and I thought that that could, like, lead to some things. I was a pre-law major, and, and, and I didn't pay a dime. I had a full-ride scholarship. By the end of my freshman year, I had a starting position on the basketball team. And, and then at the end of my freshman year, I asked God a dangerous question. What do you want me to do with my life? Can you believe I hadn't asked him that question? Now, the only thing more dangerous than asking that question is not asking that question. It began for me a journey of really six months of just seeking God and saying, God, please reveal to me. I don't know what to do. What do you want me to do? And finally, last week, a summer vacation, our family's on vacation in Alexandria, Minnesota, a place where we vacationed every year. And it's the last day of vacation. I get up early to do a prayer walk that morning. I mean, I'm desperate because I'm about to begin the next semester. I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. And I walk down some dirt roads, walk through a cow pasture. In the middle of that cow pasture, I hear that inaudible yet unmistakable voice of God. And I know I'm called to ministry. And I promise you, two years before, like that would not even been on the radar. It would have been the last thing I thought I would do. Um, but I knew, and I didn't know how and when and where, but I made a decision. I knew, I knew that God was calling me to make a tough decision. And, and I felt like God, it wasn't, he didn't want me to do it in three years. Because I had well-meaning friends saying, listen, you don't give up a full-ride scholarship. Like just play that through and then go to seminary. But, but I just, I felt like, no, it, it wasn't about three years from now. I'm going to obey God in three years. You know, I'm going to take a step of faith in three years. I knew that God was saying right here, right now, you need to be obedient. And I, I remember walking into the, the, the counselor's office at the University of Chicago. And uh, let's just say that not too many people transfer from the University of Chicago to a Bible college. It's like, but I need to do it. It began for me a journey. And I remember we went to a little church with 12 people and I started preaching and started preaching in, in uh, homeless shelters and youth, anywhere that I could preach. I, I, I did the nursing home. I was like the John Wesley of the nursing home circuit. <laughs> did so many sermons on heaven. <laughs> and I go to seminary. And then we land in Washington, D.C., and, you know, 19 people, not a real glamorous or glorious start, but over the last four, uh, 15 years, God's allowed us to touch thousands of lives. I know that most of the news coming out of D.C. is political in nature. I promise you tonight, God is moving in some profound ways, and I, I have a... I have a spiritual hunger in my heart to see God move in a new way. I, I want to tell, I'm at a place again in my life where I just, God, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. I've got a holy discontent. Would you do greater things, do bigger things? God, I mean, thank you for how far you've brought us, but, but we haven't seen anything yet. And, and here's what I've learned. If you want God to do something new, you can't keep doing the same old thing. And there comes a moment where there are things that you need to let go of. 
there are decisions that, that you need to make. You need to step out in faith. And you know what? Maybe tonight could be your night. We just ask you. I'm not going to ask for a public response. I, I don't know that that is, is necessary, but I wonder how many of you would just confess and profess that the, the truth is you've really invited Jesus to follow you. And is it possible that that's why tonight you're still asking, what am I still missing? But if you would make the decision to say, God, I'm hands off. I'm going to let go. You could be one decision away from a totally different place emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And if you would follow him, then there is no telling where he could take you. Does that not just fill you with the holy anticipation tonight? Oh, God, take me where you want me to take you. Do what you want to do. Would you stand? I want to lead you in a prayer tonight, and, and I'm going to hand it off to Bob. And I think we're going to eat some dessert. But before we do, can I pray with you? I, uh, you know, sometimes I, I fly in and fly out, and you know, you'll speak at something, and you know, that's all well and good, but I just have to say, it has been such a joy and privilege to sit at the table with some of you and to hear your hearts. And I, if I had time, I would just love to hear those table talks, by the way, keep, let's keep doing those. Because um, those are awesome to be able to hear everybody's story. And I'm just, you know, I'm just so excited to hear about what God's doing in your heart and what he's going to continue to do. But I want to lead us in a prayer tonight. And uh, this is kind of our, this is kind of the last thing I want to share with you. Um, I, I've always loved the way that the Quakers prayed. And sometimes I'll lead our congregation in this prayer. And I, I think sometimes it's good to pray with body posture. Uh, I love getting on my knees because I think when I get on my knees, I kind of get out of the way and it, it puts me in a physical posture that should be the, the kind of heart posture that I live my life with. And you know what, every once in a while, I'll be honest, I lift my hand a little bit in worship because I get a little bit excited about who God is and what God, you know, and so we have different expressions and postures. And, but I love this prayer because of the postures. They would pray with their hands face down and their hands open. And it would just symbolize the things that they needed to let go of. And, and just by taking that posture, it was just kind of this willingness. God, I've, I've held on to this long enough. I'm just, I'm just, you know, and it doesn't matter whether it's a sin you need to confess or a fear that you need to just let go of and, or, or just something that's heavy on your heart where you just need to cast your cares upon him. And, and then they would turn their hands over. And in a posture of receptivity, they would just open themselves up to the Almighty One and, and say, come and, and I, I receive whatever it is that you want to do in me and, and would you just come and do it abundantly in my heart and so you know if I need peace give me peace that passes understanding and give me that joy unspeakable would you just begin to not just fill me but flood me with your spirit and so tonight I just think that this would be an appropriate way for us to respond to this message and, and would you allow the Holy Spirit just put on your mind put in your heart what what is it that you need to let go of tonight 
And so if you feel comfortable doing it, would you just put your hands like this? Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you. This moment, like every moment, was planned from eternity past. No one's here by accident. All of us are here by divine appointment. And tonight, Lord, if there is something that we need to let go of, I pray that you would give us the courage to do it. God, if there is some, something in our life, some sin, some habitual sin that, that has just been keeping us from the fullness of joy, God, tonight, the enemy would say that you failed too many times, but you would say that you would say that my grace is sufficient. And, and, and as a heavenly father, you, you would just say, oh, let go of it, let go of it, and, and let me help you. God, for those who maybe there's some anxiety about some situation, about some deal that we can't control and we get bent out of shape because we like controlling things. God, right now, we just let go. We, we drop it out of our hands and we put it in the hands of the Almighty because you can handle it. God, you can handle it. Lord, those things that, that we carry, God, the things that keep us trapped, the things that maybe have kept us from, from the fullness, and we think, I can't let go of that, I, I can't. I, the, the, my, my identity, my security won't just let, won't let me let go of it. God, tonight, would you give us the courage to let go? And we turn our hands over. God, we're ready to receive. God, I thank you that you are more ready to give than we are to receive. But we are ready to receive what it is that you want to do in our hearts and lives tonight. God, we receive not just the things that your hand can offer. We receive your heart. Oh, God. God, you don't want what we have. You want who we are. God, just as when you encountered this rich young ruler, you, you didn't need what he had. It wasn't about what he had. You wanted him. And you want us tonight. And God, I pray that tonight somehow you would break through into a new place in our heart and that we would just be overwhelmed that there is a loving Heavenly Father that wants us, that wants to spend eternity with us, that wants us to follow Him and just be with Him forever. And tonight we receive your love and we receive your peace and we receive your joy but above all else, we receive you. And to as many as have received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. We are your children. You are our Father. And we love you and thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you guys.